Well, uh, greetings, dear saints. Uh, it's good to be with you, even if in this limited way, uh, once again. Um, I, I, I should check. Can you all, can you hear me? Am I, am I yes, coming brother. through? Yes. Amen. Hey, hey, brother Ben, I, I don't know how we did it. And I think no fault to you, but uh, that was in 2 Timothy chapter 3, um, what, what, what you read there. Um, I, think, I think we're on a streak, my brother. I think we're on a streak. <laughs> But that's okay, my brother. That's okay. Um, yeah, Second Timothy. If, if I could, uh, I'd like to. I'd like to start with that. Second uh, Timothy three, uh, fourteen. But you uh, continue in the things which you have learned and have been assured of. This is, of course, Paul speaking to his uh, young uh, co-worker, co his young coworker, who who was who was, if you understand me correctly, who was among the first, second generation in the church history. Do you get that? Timothy was, was a second generation in the first century church life. Did you, you realize we had second generation children among the saints in the first generation church? Timothy was such. Actually, in the next chapter, chapter four, it references uh, Mark. Mark was one such who um, we know a little bit about his mom and his uncle, or maybe his cousin, that's Barnabas. Uh, but anyway, here, uh, we're gonna come back to this point about Timothy's uh, lineage. Continuing the things which you have learned and have been assured of, knowing from which ones you have learned them and that from a babe you have known the sacred writings. I remember reading this when I was a young believer, always always assuming that when Paul says, um, re, uh, re, you know, remembering who you learned, that knowing from, from which ones you learned them, that he was referring to himself and, um, and the coworkers, the, the apostles, uh, Silas, and be, because, because Timothy was under their care, Luke, and, and, and under their, uh, shepherding and perfecting. But when you read Acts 16, you realize that uh, actually Timothy did not know Paul. Paul did not know Timothy uh, in his youth. He, well, by the time Paul met Timothy, he was already a young adult, actually quite um, notable in the church life with some function and, and attested to by leading brothers from two different churches. Read Acts 16, the first three verses. And, um, and, and he has such a good reputation that Paul and the brother and Silas feel, I wanna take him with me for, he'd be good for the, for the work. And so, and so um, if that's the first time that Paul met Timothy, then, then you have to realize knowing from which ones you learn them Timothy's learning did not begin with Paul. Timothy's learning began with his mommy, Eunice, and his grandma, Lois. And uh, anyway, we'll, we'll come back to that, to that point a little later. And that from a babe, you've known the sacred writings. Who were the ones who, who, who put the writings into, into Timothy since, since he was a baby? Surely, not Paul. Surely it was the family. Surely it was Lois and and Eunice, which are able to make you wise into salvation 
through the faith which is in Christ Jesus, all scriptures God breathe and profitable for teaching, conviction, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, fully equipped for every good work. No doubt Paul and the brothers were part of Timothy's perfecting, the perfecting, but the foundation was laid in the family. Um, anyway, saints, I, I would like to come back to Timothy's Timothy's family situation in in uh, in just a little bit, but um, I'd like to I'd like to start uh, right in with with the outline. If you have that I have that handy, the the title of our this session is the vision and importance of the next generation in the Lord's recovery. Now, if you don't have the outline, please don't fret at all. You don't need to like even look for it, download it now or anything. Because my intention is not my my burden is not to cover an outline. My 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 intention is to cover a burden that is conveyed in this outline. We won't even read the whole thing, uh, and I can tell you this outline. This outline comes from from this book here, raising up the next generation uh, for the church life. I, in my times with you uh, in the past two years, I I think I've recommended this book to you a number number of times. Raising up the next generation for the church life. This, incidentally, is not. This is not a uh, a, a conference uh, that that brother Lee gave. Um, so so it's not it's not the writings from one from one uh, uh, conference or, or or fellowship. But this is a. If you read down here, it's a compilation. It's a compilation of writings from brother Nee and brother Lee on this topic of raising the next generation. Um, on one hand, uh, actually you can see behind me here, books, lots of books. I think I, I can see in, in many screens, there's uh, bookshelves with many books uh, of the ministry, Brother Nee, Brother Lee. Um, it, this, they didn't say too much about this matter of parents, children, raising up the next generation, uh, you know, c comparing this, this might look like a thick volume. It's 26 chapters, but but when you compare this to all that, it's not that much. So so, my my point is, this surely is not the central line of our ministry. This is not the central line of God's economy. This is this is even if if you would read the forward in this book, you you would you would know that we explain that that these are the leaves and branches, but but um, the, the trunk can survive without the leaves and branches, but the leaves and branches cannot survive without the trunk. So, so on the other hand, the, the branches and the leaves are an expression, an extension of the branch. And so this matter of our family life and raising up the next generation, uh, we, we, don't, we, we don't necessarily focus on this matter, um, but we realize, we need we need this in our lives. We need this in our living. We need this help so that there could be a proper expression of the God's economy in our lives, and particularly in our family life, because our family our our family life is our daily life. And if we don't have this, all of this, all the ministry practical to us and practiced and expressed in our daily life, then what is it? How can God gain what he what he wants? 
And so that's why, saints, I asked the, the brothers if we could begin our conference, which is on the next generation, on the matter of the children, the young people, whether you are, whether you are as parents or grandparents or serving them in the church life in some capacity. Or I'm glad that the brothers mentioned this at the beginning. Um, this is not just for these categories of saints, it's for the whole church. Because in our group meetings, we have families with children. In our church life, we have families with children. And we, we always consider all of them are all our children. All of them are all our children. I, I, I have three children, um, my wife and I with three children, but they're grown and married. So we, we really consider we have six children. We consider our, our in-laws ours. But in the church life, oh, I have hundreds of children, hundreds of children. So do you. And, and I hope with, with, this, with this view, we, we, could, we could realize the importance of this. However, that we could see the importance in the context of God's economy, in the context of God's economy, because that is why we are here, dear brothers and sisters. So that's why I had the feeling this time that we would begin our conference with 1325. Um, God eternal has a purpose. God eternal has a purpose. And we touched something in this outline in the very first point on this matter and the correlation between our family life and God's etern eternal purpose. And then the second hymn that we sang, 750, is more subjective even. And, and with this as the chorus, Lord, you can say it with me if you know it, Lord, transform us to thine image, right? In emotion, mind, and will. Saturate us with thy spirit, all our being, holy, fill. And, and that I would say even that prayer is a parent's prayer. <laughs> that prayer is a grandparent's prayer. That prayer should be every serving one's prayer. Because, because um, God is after something in our lives, not just a good family life. And sometimes, dear saints, it happens with all of us. It happens with all of us. There is no, quote unquote, perfect family. And, and don't, don't consider, even don't, never be jealous of others' situations when you see, it looks like, oh, it looks like they really got it together and, and they, they knew what they were doing and, and oh, my kids are, are this and that and how come their children are that and this and, and will we compare? No, please, that's, that's a futile exercise. Please, please don't do that because uh, the Lord knows. The Lord knows, and we have our situation, and and this is the point that that we end up needing to emphasize time and again, and maybe if there's time in the course of three these three meetings, I'll give you a testimony of a conversation I had directly with with Brother Lee um, concerning this matter of parenting. Um, uh, this, of course, was was years ago. I this was as a college student. I was a, a young college student in uh, Southern California, in Irvine, California. With, and I, I went to see Brother Lee. He, he gave me an audience of two hours, uh, but that was only because I was best friends with his grandson and uh, he was my housemate. So we had a conversation, we had a conversation. And this is one of the points he mentioned to me that um, we try our best as parents 
we all try our best as parents and apply all the principles of the Bible, even principles like what we'll talk about in these few meetings. But at the end, everything is up to the Lord's mercy. Everything is up to the Lord's mercy. So the Lord, I mean, uh, you, you, you might say, well, if it's all up to the Lord's mercy, why even have a conference? Why, why, why come together to talk about? Well, because the Lord does entrust all the young vessels into our hands. And, and uh, as it says in Psalm 127, the children are a heritage of Jehovah. They actually belong to him, but he puts them in our charge for a period of time, for a period of time. And we have our responsibility as parents. And I hope that we will see something <clears throat> this morning, uh, examples in the scripture, so many examples in the scripture of parents bearing their responsibility before the Lord. And the point is that we as parents, grandparents must bear our responsibility or we have to answer to the Lord. But, but the, on the other hand, even you do your best, there's no guarantee how the child will turn out, whether they will love the Lord or not. That's up to the mercy of the Lord. We have to bear our responsibility yet always we humble under the, the mercy of the Lord. So in the meantime, though, regardless whether our children love the Lord or not, you know, saints, you know, the children bring us into different situations that, that press us to the Lord. Sooner or later, every parent says, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. Even with the best child, things happen. Things happen in our family life. We have to remember that very often the Lord allows things, allows things to occur because, not because he's working on our children, but because he's working on me. He's still working on us. And so we, and we're praying desperately, Lord, my child, save my child. Actually, the Lord is after something in me. That's why I say the chorus of hymn 750 should be the prayer of every parent. Lord, transform us to thine image in emotion, mind, and will. Saturate us with thy spirit, all our being holy fill. Lord, saturate me. Lord, I don't want to pass through this in vain. Lord, gain me, saturate me, and gain your purpose uh, through this. Well, saints, back to the uh, to the the outline. I think I just only read the title, the vision and importance, the vision and importance of the next generation, and <clears throat> I I want to I want to um, uh, jump down to Roman one b, Roman one b, says here every time God wants to make a dispensational move, an age turning move. He must obtain his dispensational instrument. Uh, Saints, we touched upon this last year. It, it, those of you who participated in the Memorial Day conference, we actually had a message on, on this point. And then in the uh, elders training uh, in the fall, also we had a message uh, uh, on this point on being, having dispensational value. And uh, well, let me finish reading the point. 
We must be those who have dispensational value to God in the last days to turn the age. C says, God's work in turning the age is always done through men. Before a new age is ushered in, there are always men in the previous age who are used by God particularly to turn the age. In every age-turning work, God purposely uses young people. And then under this in, uh, in point uh, two, sub point two, it says, God's most important dispensational move is to end this age and bring in the age of the kingdom. He must have his dispensational instrument. This is what God wants to do today. This last point is drawn from Brother Nee's fellowship in uh, the, the book, The Glorious Church, in the uh, appendix to the book, The Glorious Church. That what, what, what speaking, what particular speaking that is. Maybe you recall, because the brothers have read it on various occasions over the last few years in different feasts, that we are in special times that require special Christians to do a special work. This doesn't mean we, we, we are in ourselves are special or different than any the believers. But the point is, if you're involved with this special work that makes you a special Christian, God has this need of some who will turn the age. And dear saints, isn't there just a sense or a realization in you that, that we just are in an even intensified way nearing the ending of this age? It, it just, it has to be, it has to be. There, of course, even from things we see in the scripture, from certain prophecies, but also we, we, we just look around, it has to be. So saints, it's, it's history. This is history, fact in the Bible, in the Bible, from all the examples we see in church history and those who have gone before us upon whose shoulders we stand, we see this point. And Brother Lee brings out this point very strongly in, uh, in certain occasions that whenever God does an age-turning work, he focuses on the younger generation. He, want, he raises up the young generation to be the kind of spark to carry that through. And it's very interesting that even from, we can look at the writings, um, different messages from the, 19, the 1960s, the 1980s, whenever Brother Lee spoke directly to young people, it seems that, it seems that he brought out this point of being overcomers to turn the age. He wanted to infuse them with this. So, of course, we've known this for a long time. Actually, I can tell you, this was spoken to me when I was in high school in the Lord's Recovery. I, I came to the Lord's Recovery when I was 14 years old. <clears throat> and actually, I, I was saved when I was very young. I, I've given my testimony to some of you before. I, got, I was saved when I was very young. I was saved. <clears throat> my, my mom was meeting in the Brethren denomination at the time. So that's, I was raised there. And, and I got baptized when I was 12 and, and uh, was shepherded into a love for the Lord and pursuing the Lord in my young teenage years. And when I was 14, I came to the Lord's recovery and, and I heard those messages. I heard those messages. Um, but, but saints, when, when, as we were picking up this burden, you know, to, to have a continuation for the next generation and looking in the 
looking in the in the ministry as well as just looking at the word looking at the word um and 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 um studying this matter you know there's a there's a message by brother brother nee uh he says he says this that <clears throat> in the in the um in the bible besides the book of proverbs besides the book of proverbs there is not much detail of for parents how we should do the parenting you know in the book of proverbs there are some verses even not that much but you can find a number of golden verses uh, as you read through that talks directly to the parents uh, about discipline and and so on how how to interact with our children but he says besides the book of proverbs and of course in the new testament a little bit in a few verses in ephesians a few verses in colossians but that's it but then he says this but there are but there are many examples many patterns of parents in the bible so <clears throat> and he mentions a few like like noah and uh, hannah and and uh, um, the parents of samson and so on and so he mentions a few but saints, I, I, I tell you, this this was about, I could tell you, it was about 13, uh, um, 12 or 13 years ago, 12 or 13 years ago, as we were in these things and having more fellowship and, and going to the Lord uh, again because of the desperation in observing the current situation among us in the churches, in the, in the Lord's recovery, particularly in, in North America and in the US, that our track record has not been so good. That it seems only, only about half the young people remain through their young adulthood following the Lord in, in, in the churches. That is, that is, we have all our children, only about 50%. And that's, that's, a, that's the general number uh, across the nation. And in some local churches, the percentage is a little higher, but in some churches, a little lower. And I think I've mentioned, I may have mentioned this to you last year. I know certain, at least two countries that, you know, other places in the world where, excuse me, the, the leading ones opened this to us, that they were only keeping, they did some statistics, they were only keeping 20% of their children in the long run and losing 80 to the world. And, and so, of course, this gave us pause. We, we realized we, we, have to, we have to be willing to change our way, reconsider our ways as parents and serving ones uh, to, to see, Lord, are, are we a factor? Is it just that the world is stronger? Is the enemy's work more intensified? Or are, are we lacking in some way? And I think we all have to be open and willing to go to the Lord even repeatedly that we would not be a factor, a stumbling to our next generation. So we come to the word with kind of a, a fresh perspective and just open to the Lord. And we started to see this very interesting fact, saints, very interesting fact, that in so many of these cases of those whom we would call, you know, this is a, a recovery term, we would call them age turners. Do, do you know what I mean? These are the, the ones, who turned the age. Uh, Brother, Brother Lee has a classic message in the life study of Genesis is called 
the life and work that turned the age, the life and work that turned the age. So we nicknamed them age turners. So Noah was an age turner. And, and uh, in a uh, recent uh, college training, I think two trainings ago, uh, many songs were written about the age turners because the title was God's age turners. And we were trying to infuse the young people in, in, in this matter. But as we looked at the cases in the scripture, this very amazing fact just popped up in story after story. And what is that? That actually it was two generations that turned the age, two generations together. And, and, so, and so when we came to Malachi, the verses we just read, Malachi 4, 5, and 6, Malachi 4, 5, and 6, which happened to be the last two verses in the Old Testament. What is that? What is there? Do you know that this, th th these verses talk about two generations being reconciled before the coming of the Lord? The, it, the, the, uh, the verses talk, of course, about Elijah. The prophecy is about Elijah. I'll read them again. I am about to send Elijah, that's Malachi 4, 5, the prophet to you before the great and terrible day of Jehovah comes. Of course, saints, this is a prophecy not yet fulfilled. This is for, for this coming day, for the coming day before Elijah comes. You know, in Revelation, we know Elijah's coming back, right? Elijah's coming back before. Okay, what will happen? It says here, and he will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the heart of the children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with a curse. So the Old Testament ends with the reconciliation of two generations before the Lord comes back. However, there, this is repeated in the New Testament, early in the New Testament, at the beginning of the New Testament, and applied to John the Baptist in Luke 1, which is the other verse that we read. In, in Luke 1, what does, what does that say? It says, and it is he who will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the prudence of the righteous to prepare for the Lord a people made ready. So the Old Testament ends with this. The New Testament begins with this. And we know that this age will also end with this matter in the full fulfillment uh, in Elijah. And saints, I feel this is happening today. And this is what the Lord wants to do today among us. He wants to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to the fathers. And he's, do, he's actually doing this. Why? To prepare for the Lord a people made ready. That is, to prepare God's today's age turners, which are our children, our grandchildren, and the ones brought to the Lord through them today and in the coming days. So anyway, we started to look at these examples and uh, let's take let's take noah you know we I mentioned noah before you know no, noah 
um, if you read that life study message, the one I, I referred to before, uh, the life and work that changed the age. Um, yes, that changed the age. That's, I think, the proper the title. Do you know what you see there? We just get, we, we almost always give just credit to Noah. Noah's the age turner. But that message points out that Noah inherited the godly ways of his forefathers. And Noah, do you know Noah was probably greatly shepherded and affected by his grandfather? I would say even he was produced by his grandfather. You know who his grandfather was? I think you, you all know this, Methuselah, <laughs> Methuselah. And of course, his great-grandfather, it was Enoch. And what do we know about Enoch? Enoch walked with God and he was not. He's the first one to be raptured. Brothers and sisters, don't, don't, you, don't you wanna be in the line of Enoch? Don't, don't you wanna be a today's Enoch? Well. You know, it, it says when, 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 when we're introduced to Noah in uh, Genesis, it, it does say this, and no, Noah walked with God. Noah walked with God. Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Noah walked with God. But was he the first one? No. His great-grandfather was the one who walked with God. But, but this was passed on through... Methuselah, through Methuselah. You know, of course, Enoch named Methuselah with this prophetic name, this prophetic name. And Methuselah means, Methuselah means when he dies, it will occur. What, what's it? Nobody knew. Nobody knew. But people just knew that when he dies, something's going to happen. Well, you, you you know that Methuselah, he's, he's the answer to a you know, Bible trivia question, right? Who is the one who lived the longest in the Bible? And 969, 969, always easy to remember because nine and turn it, flip it around is the six and then flip it back and it's nine, 969. But that's not the important thing. The important thing is that if you follow, if you trace the lineage by years using the genealogy in Genesis, you realize that, that um, Methuselah's 969th year was Noah's 600th year. And that's important because that's the year of the flood. So Methuselah died in the year of the flood. You know, there were, there were what? There were eight that went into the ark. That's right, that's eight, the number of resurrection. If Methuselah had been alive, I think the re resurrection number would have been nine because Methuselah would have, would have been there. But he wasn't there, so it's eight. He died. So when he died, don't, what, do you think, what do you think Shem, Ham, and Japheth thought? Don't you think they were impressed? Oh, what kind of a family are we in? Oh, my, it's like my family governs human history. Everything about my family, my, my dad, my grand, my, my, what, my great grandpa, my great grandpa, who told us stories, right? Great grandpa, let's see, dad, grandpa, yeah, dad, grandpa, great grand, yeah, great grandpa, and about his father, 
walking with God. And God took him. Now my my great grandpa dies, and the whole world's getting judged, and like everything re is revolving around my family. What kind of a family is this? Oh, don't you think? I mean, we don't know. I'm all, oh, it's only speculation, or rather, I'd like to say, sanctify the exercise of sanctified imagination. That 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 Methuselah would have sat down those boys and tell them. Sons, children, follow your father. Follow your father. I know your father is ridiculed. He was, your father's a herald of righteousness, but nobody believes. Well, you tell your friends, follow your father. We're in a very special family. And they did. They did. And, and they got three. They each bore one fruit to go into the ark. Oh, brothers and sisters, what a beautiful picture. We all should we all should say, Lord, make my family the family of Noah. The family of Noah. And then the Lord, the Lord Himself says in Matthew uh, that that uh, that as the age of Noah was, so will the coming of the Son of Man be. And I believe that prophet that what those words now mean a lot more to me. That the Lord wants to raise more families like the families, like the family of Noah. But do you see my point that it wasn't just Noah? It was Noah with his three sons, with his next generation that completed the task to turn to turn the age. But not 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 only not not only so. Then then you have then you have the uh, other cases. Well, one one wonderful case is John the Baptist, who we just mentioned in the New Testament. <clears throat> the new in Luke one. You see this story of a godly uh, man and a godly woman. Yes, he was a priest, Zechariah and Elizabeth. And, and they have a son. And the Lord comes to them. And he's special. He's the one who will prepare the way of the Lord. But, and, 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 you know, we, we, there are messages about John being an age turner. Yes. H however, have you, have you considered Luke? Luke 180. Luke 180. That's the last verse in Luke 1. And I'm sure you most of us have read this before. It says, and the little child grew and became strong in spirit. And he was in the wilderness until the day of his presentation to Israel. And and we, we have messages about John, who was, you know, eating the locusts and the wild honey and dressed in the you know, goat, uh, camel skin, cam camel hair, and and he was wild, and you know, in the in the in the wilderness. Sometimes Brother Lee would say the wilderness, and and uh, and that doesn't translate well for the translators. I'm sorry, um, but <clears throat> um, uh, instead of eating the holy food, he was eating the locusts and the wild honey and so on. But do you see how this is written here? It says, and the little child grew and he was in the wilderness until the day of his presentation. How did the little child, how did John get to the wilderness? How did John get to the wilderness? Don't you think it was Zechariah and Elizabeth that took him there? Or did he run away? Well, doesn't Bible doesn't exactly say. But I have a feeling, I have a feeling that Zechariah may have 
eventually realized, oh, this is what this, I have to take him there. I have to take him there. So Zachariah and Elizabeth, may, maybe we say this way, maybe they were not age turners, but they were age turner producers. And so in our age today, saints, those are, those are the two uh, job opportunities that the Lord is offering. Either be an age turner or an age turner producer. And I like to sign up for either one. I like to sign up for either one. It seems to me I'm in the, I'm in the producer stage or that's the one I'm, I'm, I've, I'm signing up for. But all of us parents and grandparents should, should Lord make me an age turner producer. We still have our chance saints. We still have our chance through our through our grandchildren to 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 take part in this holy commission. And so, uh, uh, Timothy, uh, we mentioned him before. Timothy, it, it wasn't um, it wasn't just Paul. It wasn't just Paul. It was his his um, his grandmother Lois and his mother Eunice. And then along with Paul and Silas. So here we see it's the family and the church. And I'm glad, I'm glad that we have saints who are serving. I hope we have young people, even high schoolers, uh, you know, uh, in, in the conference to realize we all have a part. We all have a part as older siblings, as older siblings. Let's talk about, let's talk about Moses. You know, in the story of Moses, we consider, you know, Moses is the, is the age turner, but, but, you know, he was the savior of Israel. We've mentioned this in the, in past conferences that, you know, Moses, the savior needed saving. If it wasn't, if it wasn't for those two midwives in Exodus one, for them to rise up at the risk of their lives. To, to save those children, there would not have been a Moses. If not for Moses' mother and father and older sister Miriam to do what they did in, in Exodus chapter, uh, chapter 2 to, to preserve Moses. So do you see, even big sisters, older sisters are necessary for the producing of the younger generation. I'm so happy it was my sister who got brought me to Christ and my sister brought me to the church. I owe her so so much. Those big sisters can be age turner producers. Uncles, uncles can be age turner producers. You know the story of Esther, Mordecai. If there if I tell you, if there was no Mordecai, there would not have been an Esther. Esther, <clears throat> you know, she. You know, she Mordecai told her, it's very possible that you were you were raised up just for this to save your people. You have one chance to save your people. But who was the one that enlightened her? Who was the one that raised her? Who was the one that produced her? Who was the one that infused faith into her? No doubt it was her uncle Mordecai. Sometimes hard to see my uncle or older cousin, <clears throat> but in the function of at least of an of an uncle. And sometimes it's like this, it's not the parents, it's, it's extended family who brought, bring the children to the church life. Sometimes it's grandparents, 
where the children's heart is not so much for the Lord at the moment and that the grandparents bring them. Sometimes it's an uncle who's burdened for his nephews and nieces or an auntie who, 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 who brings them or just someone in the neighborhood who wants to gather children and, 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 and bring them two generations together. In the story of, of Samuel, you know, Samuel was a great age turner. Samuel brought in the kingship in Israel. Samuel brought in David. He really was one who turned the age. But how was he produced? He pr was produced with a young mother, by a young mother desperate to have a child. I don't, I don't, you know, <clears throat> we've seen this in our, <clears throat> in our lives with maybe with relatives, maybe our, maybe saints among us here in this, in, in this gathering ourselves. And we've seen this among the saints. And for a time, it just seems the Lord closes the womb and the desperation that, that mothers, that, that women have. It's, it's, it's some, it's just something within them. And, and uh, sometimes even absor totally absorbed with, with, with that feeling. But this young girl, she got a vision. And, and saints, all that we're trying to share in this opening fellowship is for this vision. Vision, to see the vision that the children play, the role of the children in God's economy, the potential they have for the future of God's economy and for the turning of the age. This young girl, Hannah, Oh, the prayer of Hannah. How could she come to use this word? You, you know, in, in 1 Samuel 1, she prays, Lord, I will, I will lend him to you. Lend. E-L-E-N-D in English. Lend. Not give him to you. Not offer him to you. But lend him to you. Her using this word lend just opens a vision. How did she realize that God was poor? Oh, some new ones among us might say, oh, brother, how dare you say God is poor in anything? Well, <clears throat> she lent Samuel to the Lord. You know, when you lend something to someone, that means you're short. You're short of something. Okay, I don't want to offend anyone. If you don't like that, we say God is poor. We can say God was short of something. Actually, that's just as bad. How can God be short of anything? God had a need. God had a need, and she realized it. How? Bible doesn't tell us. In the kingdom, should we make it there? At least in the New Jerusalem, I would like to sit down with Sister Hannah someday, and and I'd like to sign up for an appointment, and say, Sister, could you could you tell us how did you see that God had a need? That 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 because because for example, if 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 it Suppose I'm with uh, Brother Mauricio, and and we're at the. Sometimes we have these meetings in a hotel, right? And 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 there's a, a soda machine, and and I need a I need a dollar to put in the slot. Maybe these days it's two dollars. I don't know. You put in the slot for, and and I look. Oh, I, I don't have. So what would I say, Brother Mauricio? Could you lend me a dollar, or could you lend me two dollars? And I and I don't have it. I, that means I'm I'm empty. I'm short. Why did Hannah say, Lord, you give me a son and I'll lend him to you? Because she realized God was short in the priesthood. 
God was poor regarding the priesthood, at least regarding the priesthood. He was poor and God had a need and she had a need. And then she, you know what she did? She merged the two needs in her prayer. And she said this, she, she, she said, a paraphrase, something like this. Tell Lord, Lord, come here, come here. I'll tell you what I'm going to do. If, if you meet my need, then with whatever you meet my need, I'll just give him right back to you to meet your need. How about that? How about that? And it seemed like the Lord really enjoyed this kind of negotiation with one of his seekers because he answered he answered her prayer and she fulfilled that and she gave him right back to the Lord. And oh, what, I, she, she was, Hannah was an age turner producer. And no doubt Elkanah, El, El I think is the dad, that he had to be one with her in eventually lending this child to the priesthood. You know, they went one day and hands off. That's can you imagine how difficult that was? We don't think about that. We just read the story and somewhat for granted. Can you imagine Hannah opening this to Elkanah and said, well, oh, you're happy that you have, we have a child. Oh, I'm going to be a father. And, and, then, and then she would say, well, there is one condition, Elkanah, that I made this deal with the Lord. This is my consecration. That if the Lord gave me a son, I'm going to give him. That that's just as much the, the the sacrifice as Abraham with Isaac. So I believe they together had to have the oneness to carry out this this consecration. And then and then Samson's mother and father. We know that story. We know that story. Of course, Samson's example is not as positive and shining as, as Samuel, but still the Lord used Samson. And, and what was his story? The, the angel came to, came to her and told her, you, you will have a, really, you'll have a Nazarite. You will have a Nazarite. But her, he instructed her, you also cannot take from the vine. You cannot take from the vine. So, so she told her husband, she told her husband, Mano, uh, what is it, Manoah? Manoah. And we don't know her name. And um, he came and, and asked, you know, if you see him again, call me, we'll talk to him together. And in his interaction with the angel, he asked, how shall we raise the child? How? You know, very often when we have these weekends, this kind of fellowship, the, um, the saints, <laughs> the saints um, come wondering, are we going to get instructions how, how to raise the children, what, what to do? And um, this is the case. This is the case that happened in, with, with uh, Samson's mother, uh, with the father. The father asked, how shall we raise the child? And the angel says, I already told her. If, if you look at that, you, you'll find that in Judges 13. I already told her. What was her instruction? That she should not. She cannot take of the vine. So that shows us that to produce a Nazarite, you have to be a Nazarite. 
our example and pattern are important. And not just after birth. This is, do you know that this word was spoken to her before conception? So during all the time before the child is born, the parents are to have a consecrated life. So do you see these examples? Two generations together. I mentioned already Hannah and Samuel, but then Samuel and David is the same. They were not family or related that way, but Samuel took David under his wing. He anointed him and shepherded him and brought him into his function. You know, when we, we mentioned Moses before, um, you know, I want to talk about Moses and Joshua. Moses and Joshua. You know, usually when we talk about Joshua, we talk about Joshua and Caleb. And, and we stress companionship. And that's true. That's in, the, that's in the Bible. That's a good example. But do you know that the scriptures give us more detail about the relationship Joshua had with Moses than his relationship with Caleb? We're first introduced to Joshua in Exodus, I think it's 17, when, when Israel is attacked by the Amalekites. And you know that story where, where uh, Mo Moses is on the, you know, on the mountain and he's praying and Joshua's in the valley fighting. And then when he raises his hand to pray, then uh, uh, Joshua and Israel wins, but he gets weary and his hands go down and, and the Amalekites are, uh, gain the advantage. So then uh, Aaron and her, you know, they, they seat Mo sit Moses down and they stand next to him holding up his arms. That, that story. That's where we see young Joshua taking the lead to fight the flesh. This was his preparation for becoming the leader of the next generation later on. And, and, but, then, but then we next see him as Moses' attendant. As Moses' attendant. And he's just there in the background. No words. No words. Several times, Exodus 25, in Exodus 33, it says he was a young man that would not depart from the tent, would not depart from the tent. You know, uh, when, when the Israel sinned with the golden calf, Moses took his tent and had it outside the camp. And it says Joshua stayed there. He stayed there with Moses, alongside Moses. Do you see? <laughs> Moses was produced and then he in turn produced another one for the next generation who then led another generation into the good land. So do, do you see a number of generations here working, working together? What is the book of Deuteronomy? The book of, the book of Deuteronomy is the book of Deuteronomy is Moses preparation of the next generation it's the talks of an of an aged of an aged father preparing preparing the next the next generation to enter in so do you see saints the this commission to me this is this is actually quite exciting that this view of all our children all our children we need to be those who are willing to take all of them any 
not just our own children in our home under our wing, but we serve them with this view. And I believe this has some effect on us. This has some effect on us that, that we need to consider our pattern, our example, how we live before them, how we serve them, how we serve them. And it's not just in the we, uh, weekly or, or however often we as serving ones that we are with them once every three weeks, once a month or so on, but are living in front of them. Even when in our group meetings, when we're just together, all of that counts, saints. All, all, all of that, all of that counts. A few others, I, 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 I want to go through a little bit of the outline, but I, I just want to present a couple of more of these examples. Naomi and Ruth, you know the book of Ruth? There we see two generations together. We see there the faithfulness of Ruth, and we talk about her, and we talk about her past, you know, being a Moabitess, and that's a precious story, precious lessons. But do you realize that there'd be no Ruth if there was no Naomi? There'd be no Ruth if there was no Naomi. And then in Judges 5, uh, and 5 and 6, I think it is, we see another, the Lord uses two sisters to rescue Israel. That is Deborah, Deborah. She, she, she's the judge, Deborah. And considered, she gets the credit. She's kind of the savior. But actually the work was done by a younger sister who gave hospitality and eventually conquered the enemy. And her name is Jael, J-A-E-L. Two together. Again, an older generation, younger generation. We just see this in uh, as we as we look at the at, at the scriptures, two generations always working together to to turn the age. So saints, we all have a role in this. We all have a role, whether it's with our own physical children, blood and flesh, with our grandchildren, or with the others in the church. That's why we do want to open such fellowship to to the whole church. To, to participate. Okay, maybe we come back now to the to the to the outline and we'll come back to the beginning, the first points of Roman uh, one. It says we must see the preciousness of the second generation and their value in God's hands. And uh, the verses uh, here from Luke 18, uh, this is this is where the Lord um, receives the children where the Lord receives the children, Luke, uh, and, oh, no, sorry, sorry, uh, wrong reference. I'm going to say something about this point of receiving the children. It says, but Jesus called them to him saying, oh, yes, allow the little children to come to me and do not forbid them. This is the, the section I thought, sorry. For of such is the kingdom of God. Truly, I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a little child shall by no means enter into it. And, and we know this is repeated in different Gospels. There was this, uh, this uh, feeling among the disciples. The Lord was, uh, uh, I believe this, this story is in maybe uh, in, Mark, in Mark 10, uh, where the parents are bringing their children, trying to bring their children to the Lord Jesus for him to lay hands on them. And, and the disciples 
forbid, forbid it. He's too busy. He's too busy for the children. And, and the Lord notices this. Maybe it seems almost as if he was taking care of some and then noticed what the disciples were doing. And it's very interesting that the scripture uses this word, indignant. The Lord was indignant about what they were doing. And, and he expressed something in the genuineness of his humanity to them. And he said, allow the children to come to me. And then, and then he takes one in his, in his arms. And, and then it has this, this, very, this very particular, very particular phrase. Um, I, I, like to, I like to read that, uh, uh, read it to you. Uh, this is this is the story is Mark ten verses thirteen to sixteen, and uh, uh, it says disciples rebuke them. Uh, disciples were rebuking them. That's verse thirteen, verse fourteen. Jesus seeing it was indignant, but uh, I want to point out verse sixteen, Mark ten sixteen, and taking them into his arms, he fervently blessed them, laying his hands on them. He fervently blessed them. Um, I would, I would have loved to have seen that. And what, 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 why, why did Mark include this word fervently? And, and what's the difference between just blessing and fervently blessing? Um, I don't know. I, I can imagine something. I can imagine like he was making a point to the disciples allow them to come. I'm not only going to bless these, I'm going to fervently bless them. Now, I don't know what that looked like, but do you know, do you see his heart in his humanity? And, and dear saints, dear saints, we, uh, we, we've mentioned this in the past. Um, we are in this mold of this God man that's presented to us in the gospels. Ephesians tells us that we, uh, that, that, that we are taught in him as the reality is in Jesus. And, that, and, and the reality that is in Jesus, we know, is the life of Jesus as presented in the four Gospels. And that in his human living, he set up a pattern for us. And so how, even, even in this, he has, there's a pattern, how to interact with our children and what our attitude should be toward all the children, our children, the children in the church life, and all the children even outside. Our attitude is, Lord, allow them to come to you. Through our, through our children, through our neighbors, Lord, gain more children. And that is part of the mold that we have been placed into in our baptism. And that... He, he wants to reproduce himself in us in that mold that, that we, would, we would know how to reach the next generation, how to reach the hearts of the children. You know, uh, in, in the book of 1 Thessalonians, um, sorry, uh, what I mean is in the life study of the book of 1 Thessalonians, uh, when Brother Lee gave this life study, he mentioned this, and you can find this in, in these, those messages. He said that 
First Thessalonians gives us an example of how to care for new ones and young ones. And this includes our own young people. And what you see in the first couple of chapters in First Thessalonians, Paul writes to these young believers because we know this story that, that he was, on, when we look at Acts, we know he was only there in Thessalonica for three Sabbaths, which, which means that, that, could, that could be you know, anywhere from 17 days to three weeks. And so three Sabbaths. And so not a long time. And then the, the brothers left and wrote something to them. And so this was the youngest group of believers, the youngest church that he addressed in his epistles. And for that, for the, because of that, Brother Lee points out, this is a good pattern, how to help the young ones. And so in the first two chapters, Paul stresses his, or the, the apostles' entrance into the Th Thessalonians. You know what manner of entrance we had toward you. What manner of entrance we had toward you. So then in chapter two, that, that, that phrase is repeated in chapter one and the beginning of chapter two. Then in chapter two, you see that Paul con considered himself as a nursing mother to the, to the Thessalonians and an exhorting father. And so you see that there has to be this kind of a balance, the balance of nourishing, even cherishing, of warmth for opening, and then at times there has to be the faithfulness for exhortation, for, for exhorting. But even there, there's something very particular in, in, uh, in the way Paul expresses this. Even in the, in the, when he talks about the exhorting father, uh, he says, uh, this is 1 Thessalonians 2.11, just as you know how we were to each one of you as a father, to his own children, exhorting you and consoling you and testifying. So sometimes we, uh, we emphasize maybe too much the matter of exhorting. Even in the, the outline, Brother Lee's outline of First Thessalonians, it talks about the care of a nursing mother and an exhorting father. But actually, it's not just an exhorting father. It's a exhorting and consoling and testifying father. You know, we would think an exhortation is like this. I'm telling you, I told you before, but the exhorting must include consoling. <laughs> And also should include testifying. That means what? That means on one hand you exhort, but then you also testify. So it's not just this. It's, son, let me tell you, actually, when I was your age, 
yeah, I, I blew it too. Or I blew it worse. And that's why I'm so strong with you. Because I don't want you to pass through what I passed through. And so you can testify. You know, when we testify, it opens, it opens people's hearts because we're opening our heart. You know, a testimony, a testimony is not a message. A testimony is a a testimony is an eyewitness, right? And and you you say, I, I saw, I did, I passed through, I experienced. A message might be, you saints, you should. A testimony is not you should. A testimony is I did. And and actually, maybe when we remember what I did, I can console you more than exhort you. <laughs> but but it all becomes an exhortation, a warning, and a salvation. And saints, this this I just use this as an example. How to reach people, how to open hearts. Because when the children are younger, it's it's easy to get into their heart. They open their heart to mommy and daddy. Actually, mommy and daddy are everything. But as the years go on, it seems like that door closes, that entrance closes. You know, Paul used this word, entrance. You know what manner of entrance? Saints, it's our job as parents is to keep that door open. How to keep that door open. Sometimes that door is closed and then gets locks put on it. But saints, there's always a key. There's always a key to those doors. It, it may not be in our hand. It might be in the hand of another parent, another saint in the church. But if we all have the same burden, I do believe the Lord will be faithful to, to give someone in our circle the key to our children's hearts. I've experienced this personally, even with my own son. Another brother for a period of time was the one that had the key. And that maintained the open heart. Now he and I have wonderful relationship. It was never bad, but I just knew I was not the one that had the first entrance. The brother did. I, not jealous in any way. I was just happy it was someone in the church rather than someone outside. And and then now the hearts are fully open to one another, even reflect one another's burden. So um, come back to the outline. Um, I want to, I want to uh, maybe just, I, I, I'm going to close with just this, this point. Uh, one, A, uh, the sub points, one and two. Everyone who serves the Lord must be a person with a vision. Proverbs 29, 18. You know, uh, incidentally, saints, I would maybe this is a good time to say this. For tonight's fellowship, um, we're, we're putting um, two outlines from the recent crystallization training on the website. If you could have those handy, that's, that's outlines eight and 10 of the recent crystallization training on Job's Proverbs and Ecclesiastes. Because tonight, we want to bring out some uh, nuggets and gems from the book of Proverbs related to raising the next generation. Nuggets and gems. One of the points actually is vision. You'll see that we'll see that more tonight. We need vision. 
whatever we do in our Christian life and service, we need vision. And point two, the governing vision of the Bible is the triune God working himself into his chosen and redeemed people in order to saturate their entire being with the divine trinity for the producing and building up of the body of Christ, consummating in the new Jerusalem. Saints, I, I want to repeat what I mentioned in, in my opening. There will be times when the Lord will allow things in our personal universe that don't go our way. And the reason is just this. God wants to gain something in me because he has his central purpose and he is always focused. This, this, of course, is what we saw in the entire crystallization training on Job. Even his, even his children, his children were dealt with in a certain way for God to deal with, with Job. So let, let's not forget, God has his economy and his central work. And so we're praying for this. We're praying for this advance in, uh, in our children and in us. But let's always remember the Lord wants to gain his economy. But may the Lord gain us and gain our full cooperation so that we can produce our next generation as those who turn the age. That in this age, we would have this reality of two generations working together to turn the age. So I'll stop my speaking here and I'll turn the meeting back to the brothers. And uh, I think there'll be a few two brothers to give a strengthening word, and then we open to you all, uh, the meeting to you all for your sharing. Brothers? Amen. Thank you, Brother Ricky. Uh, I was I was utterly impressed uh, with the fact that the omnipotent, all-powerful God has a need. God has a need. He needs a dispensational instrument. He needs, a, he needs some special ones that would do a special work to carry out his economy to build up the church so that he would have a way to return. However, there is a problem. And I don't want to be overly dramatic, but the problem is that we are hemorrhaging our own young people. Uh, in this country, we're, we're losing about 50% of our own. And, you know, Brother Lee said that 50% of the increase should come from our own children. And the other 50% should come from without. Brother Lee shared that the fire comes from new ones, but the purity comes from, from within, from our own. Well, what should we do? What should we do? Well, the best thing to do really is simply to follow the pattern that has been given to us. Uh, I really enjoyed what our brother shared related to uh, our dear brother Noah in the Old Testament. You know, Noah had three sons. You know, I've got four sons. So uh, I know a little bit about what Noah was probably going through. I bet there were times when Noah didn't have a way with his own sons. Don't you know that uh, the kids made fun of Noah uh, in front of his sons and 
They may even have a hard time at times with Noah. What are you doing? People are saying you're crazy building this ark. It's never even rained. Some say it had never even rained on the earth at that time. Well, I thank the Lord, too, for Brother Methuselah. Because I believe, as our brother was sharing, I was so touched that Brother Methuselah, I think we could call him a brother in a way, talks about there's a verse that says the saints in the Old Testament. Brother Methuselah had a way with Noah's sons, perhaps, that Noah didn't even have a way. Anyhow, the whole point is that this was a godly family, two generations, three generations, that were ultimately were involved in the building of the ark so that God could bring in another age. Well, this is, this is what I desire for my four sons and for me and for their grandparents. You know, I, Brother Bob Little, uh, he is, he's, uh, I know he's watching. I'd like to say a special word to Bob Little and my dad and my mom. Y'all can just listen, okay? Brother, brother Bob I, and dad and mom, I just give you the permission to, to minister Christ into your grandsons. I want you to. You know, I, I, I can't bear the thought of losing two of them, 50%. I don't want to lose one. You know, Brooks, he's 16. Jackson is 18. They don't believe a word I say half the time, okay? But their grandpa... Brother Bob, they will listen when you testify, when you share with them. Anyhow, I just wanted to give you the permission. You know, Brother Bob, I'll just share this with you. I need to stop. But Brother Bob, he is determined to live until the Lord comes back. He's determined. He's doing everything he can. He's exercising. But he's 86. Brother Bob, I don't know if it's going to happen. But listen to this. If you specifically are not an age turner, you can be an age turner producer. And I hope for sure you would give yourself, especially with your grandchildren and with me and my wife, give yourself to help us to become age turners. I'm also determined to live long enough until the Lord comes back and to be involved in it. But anyhow, I, I need to stop. Brother James has a special word he also wants to share. But anyhow, I was so encouraged. We just have two choices, be an age turner or be an age turner producer. May we be one of the two. I, I utterly, I, I fully believe that our children will be the age turners. All of us may not be able to live long enough to become the age turners, but we can be involved in age turning producing. We can produce the age turners, all the grandparents, all the spiritual grandparents. I'm so burdened. Anyhow, amen. Brother James, take it away. Amen, brother. Praise the Lord. Uh, yeah, we all can be the age turners or the uh, age turner producers. Uh, I really appreciated our brother's word. We, we all should say, Lord, make my family the family of Noah. Dear saints, it wasn't just Noah, but it was Noah with his next generation. And in the early part of the speaking, I just want to repeat the course our brother spoke to us from him 750, because I think it's very key for all of us, whether you're a parent, a grandparent, or even a serving one. Lord, transform us to thine image, any motion, mind, and will. 
saturate us with thy spirit, all our being, holy fill. So this really should be every parent's prayer, even every grandparent's prayer. It can be every serving one's prayer. Uh, I, I really appreciated uh, the speaking as he got into the matter of Noah and this uh, being producers, uh, age turner producers and age turners like Ben mentioned. Uh, what a delight. I can testify saints in my own experience. There were some that had seen the preciousness of the next generation and labored, whether it was an uncle or a sister or a member in the church. Uh, and, and I just pray that the Lord would give us such a vision for this next generation. Um, you know, Samuel brought in the kingship. He really brought in David. But even Samuel was produced by a young mother desperate to have a child. And our brother's word there about lending to the Lord uh, as the Lord would give her a son. She was desperate. Uh, this word near the end I'll, uh, in First Thessalonians, I was so touched, dear saints, Oftentimes, I think I focus on the exhorting. Uh, I mean, what a word. Just as you know how we were to each one of you, as a father to his own children, exhorting you and consoling you and testifying. Exhorting, consoling, and testifying. The exhorting must include consoling, and it also must include testifying. I was just considering as our brother was speaking. I just looked it up briefly. Consoling is to serve. Uh, it's serving to comfort someone at a time of grief or disappointment. So, Lord, give us a vision. You know, put us in the Word. We just would be soaked and saturated, permeated with the divine fullness for caring for this next generation. May the Lord grant each one of us a vision, dear saints.